Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the New Books Network. Um, my name is Geert, and I am your host for today. And I'm very pleased to be joined today by uh, Dr. Rick Strassman. Um, good evening, Rick. So glad you're here. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks, Geert. Uh, pleasure to be on the podcast. Rick currently is an adjunct associate professor of psychiatry at the New Mexico School of Medicine, and um, he graduated back in the day in biological sciences at Stanford and subsequently trained in general psychiatry at the University of California Davis Medical Center in Sacramento. Um, academically speaking, he published close to 50, 50 peer-reviewed papers and consulted many, consulted many different um, governmental and non-governmental entities. And I guess his most well-known publication is the 2001 book, uh, DMT, The Spirit Molecule. Um, but then again, his research encompasses um, many more topics. And Today we will be discussing um, the recently published book with Ulysses Press called The Psychedelic Handbook. Um, Rick, before we get to the book proper, um, could you maybe um, give us a, um, your, your, your research was now, well, didn't start out with psychedelics proper. Um, could you maybe tell us uh, what you started out with? Um, well, when I was a kid, I liked making uh, you know, fireworks and bombs. I was really interested in chemistry uh, and bright colors and lights and, um, you know, the smoke and the excitement and the slightly forbidden aspect of the whole thing. Um, and uh, I began college as a chemistry major. I'm interested in starting my own line of, of um, fireworks. Uh, but I was discouraged, um, and uh, people encouraged me instead to go into medicine. Um, in college, uh, I was on the West Coast at the time, late 60s, early 70s, and there was an influx of consciousness-changing technologies that was coming into the West, um, specifically the psychedelic um you know, drugs, specifically LSD, and, you know, to some extent, uh, magic mushrooms, um, as well as, um, you know, techniques of meditation from the Eastern religions, Hinduism and Buddhism. Uh, you know, so I was uh, struck by the overlap in descriptions of uh, phenomenology uh, that occurred between those two states. You know, there were a lot of similarities between descriptions 
of the psychedelic experience and the meditative experience, uh, you know, depending on the type of meditation you practiced. And that got me thinking that there must be some common biological denominator that was underlying the overlap in phenomenology. Uh, for example, there might be a you know, part of the brain which was activated, you know, both by psychedelics and by meditation. And you know, that explained the you know, similarities in the two states. Um, you know, back you know, back then there wasn't that much known about the human uh, pineal gland, and I began my you know, clinical research career looking at the function of melatonin, uh, the primary uh, you know, hormone from the pineal gland. Um, you know, there were some data back then you know, suggesting. Uh, that melatonin had some psychedelic properties. It might stimulate dreams. It might uh, make people with depression psychotic. Uh, you might have some of its own uh, you know, psychedelic properties. So we studied you know, melatonin quite carefully. This was in the early, uh, it was in the mid 1980s. And um, as it turned out, which everybody knows now, melatonin was primarily sedating. Um, in the meantime, though, I learned about DMT, you know, dimethyltryptamine, um, which is a psychedelic uh, you know, compound, uh, and it's made in the human body and had been studied previously in humans. Uh, so I switched, up, uh, I, I switched um, my focus and started uh, working on the DMT study. Um, it was a you know, fairly straightforward psychopharmacology uh, you know, pharmacology study. It was the first new American clinical research with these drugs in 20 years. You know, so the study had to be quite above board, you know, very traditional, you know, I, you know nothing exotic. Um, you know, but at the same time, I was interested in uh, whether you know, giving DMT in and of itself without a lot of uh, preparation and you know, coaching and expectancy other than you know, just describe the experience, would there be uh, similarities between the effects of DMT um, when I administered it to my volunteers and uh, non-drug states with you know, psychedelic properties like dreams, near-death experiences, um, even psychosis. Um, so, you know, we studied DMT for I, I five years. Um, we had approval from the DEA and the FDA, uh, which, you know, regulated that kind of work at, you know, the federal level. Um, I got funding from the National Institutes of Health. Yeah, and... Uh, you know, I concluded after you know five years of giving a lot of DMT, you know, you know, to a lot of people, that you know DMT was a, a psychedelic. It was a mind manifesting or a mind disclosing compound. Um, it wasn't a um, you know, psychotomimetic. Um, it wasn't entheogenic. Um, it wasn't mysticomimetic. It uh, you know, basically just uh, amplified and clarified what was already in the person's mind, more or less conscious. Um, you know, so that was a you know major question that I brought to bear in the research. In addition to you know the basic pharmacology, um, you know what are the you know, biological responses to DMT? Uh, we developed a new you know, questionnaire 
to quantify the subjective effects um, we published. Uh, and uh, yeah, it helped open the door or uh, it you know, basically uh, you know, opened the door you know, to you know, the resurgence in uh, you know, clinical research with these compounds in the U.S., and and why did you move your research afterwards? Because it was concluded in ninety five, I believe. Uh, yeah, I completed my studies. I'm in ninety five. We began in nineteen ninety. Um, well, there are a couple reasons. Um, I guess you know, fundamentally, I had found out what I was most interested in, um, and you know, secondarily, uh, but you know a. Uh, a you know more altruistic and you know, more career oriented reason was that I was hoping to be able to accumulate a team uh, to start you know, moving out of the purely psychopharmacology and into more you know, psychotherapeutic uh, applications, um, even spiritual ones, you know, creativity, those kinds of things, you know, um, new compounds. Uh, structure activity relationships you know like if you add a methyl group or you know take away a hydroxy group you know what's you know what are you know what's the impact on the subjective experience you know but our you know work was um so far ahead of its time that you know nobody was able to you know willing to interested in or understood the importance um of you know coming out to albuquerque you know which is I'm admittedly I'm a slightly off the beaten you know track, you know, but still it was you know the only place in the country that was studying psychedelics, the only place in the world that was giving DMT, you know, um, you know, but for, um, you know, but for whatever reasons, I wasn't able you know to gather a more multidisciplinary team, uh, you know, to continue the work um, in in uh, less. Um, a strict you know, pharmacological you know, kind of context, you, you know, like you know, some of my studies were, you know, blocking receptors, augmenting receptors, you know, putting people in brain scanners, and that just wasn't that appealing to either me or the volunteers. Um, so I figured I had you know done you know my work, and you know, let's see if the rest of the world would catch up at some point. Yeah, it's uh, it's intriguing to see indeed um, in in the documentary, for example, uh, for example, that um, the subjective experience is uh, pretty much all that matters to the to the volunteers. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's you know the subjective experience, and it's also the reality of the subjective experience. Um, um, at first, I approached the stories through an interpretive lens. You know, this is uh, you know Freudian, or this is a Jungian, or it's Buddhist, or it's biological, or psychological, or it's archetypes, or things like that. Uh, but I quickly found out that you know these were the most intense and the most meaningful and the most realistic, you know, the realest things that you know people had ever experienced. It was more real than real. And for me to interpret or to view them as uh, you know, something else, uh, like unconscious conflicts coming to the fore, uh, just you know didn't fly. And uh, I needed to do a thought experiment, accepting the stories at face value, which you know, then opened up channels of communication, uh, and also allowed me to learn more about the terrain. You know, if 
if these experiences are, um, you know, if uh, they are real, you know, it, it was an experiment to think that way. Um, you know, where would that lead? Um, you know, what kind of you know, questions could you then ask? You know, where is it located? Uh, what's the you know, function? What can you get out of it? Those kinds of things. So when it, um, you touch on many of these topics in in the in the current book, um, I, I was curious. So it's 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 really a, a very nuanced handbook. Um, did you? No, let me frame it uh, broadly. Why, why did <laughs> that is the book, the psychedelic handbook, indeed <laughs> wonderfully colored? Um, did you? Was there a gap in your opinion in the in the literature? Well, I think that there was. Um, over the last maybe five, ten years, there's been quite an explosion of interest in um, you know, psychedelic drugs, and the the uh, you know, people th that have been acting as the spokesmen or spokespeople aren't especially sophisticated in their approach. You know, Michael Pollan's book specifically, uh, you know, How to Change Your Mind. I mean, even the title is naive uh, because uh, you don't change your mind on psychedelics. You clarify your thinking and you become aware of the various things in your mind that you're dealing with. Um, if you want to change your mind, you can be more convinced of the truth of one, you know, of you know one particular uh, you know, set of options, you know. But you know, if you're a hardcore atheist, and I mean, you're going to be a hardcore atheist on LSD, um, you know. So it just didn't you know, seem as if a nuanced approach was being you know, promulgated out there, and you know, combined you know with the you know, push to commercialize, um, you know, psychedelics and, you know, psychedelic treatments, you know, they were you know, certainly going to, uh, glorify potential benefits and also minimize adverse effects. And even within the research, uh, you know, community, I think, uh, the whole story isn't really being told, um, as you know, far as adverse effects and what the, you know, what the reigning, you know, theoretical models are, you know, which are, you know, which are, you know, basically not spoken about. They're just assumed and, you know, built into the design of studies and questionnaires. So it, you know, it, uh, you know, seemed to me important to enlarge the community, uh, you know, to enlarge the discussion, uh, you know, from an expert, um, you know, without any, uh, you know, stake uh, in the game, so to speak. I mean, um, I don't have any grants. Um, I don't, uh, you know, own any shares in, in companies. Um, you know, I, I don't have any permits anymore. I'm not doing studies anymore. You know, but still, I've uh, you know kept up on the, uh, you know, the studies, uh, you know, the research literature. Um, I've been you know, collaborating with other researchers. Uh, you know, peer reviewing articles for consideration of publication in scientific journals, you know, lecturing, mentoring students, you know, but, uh, but, uh, at the, but, you know, slightly, you know, from the outside, you know, so I can, uh, you know, critique what is in the mainstream that's developing. Um, you know, if things were, you know, going to be, 
you know, presented in a balanced you know, manner. I don't think I would have written the book in the first place, but I you know, feel some responsibility to the field because you know, my works you know, you know, basically you know, began it in uh, the U.S. And I helped other you know, groups in the U.S. get off the ground. Um, including, you know, the Hopkins group, you know, so I was beginning to, uh, uh, you know, feel, you know, that the field was, you know, kind of losing its, you know, bearings, uh, and uh, it was time for a, you know, a, a mid-course correction, as it were. Yeah, so you, um, you related to this, you have a very uh, specific um a view of what psychedelics are, what these compounds are. Um, and well, as you already said, there is uh, many, many different terms for, for this, this group of compounds. Um, why, why is the term psychedelics so, uh, so all encompassing? I think because it's, it's, uh, you know, the most g- generic, um, it isn't really, uh, dependent on a specific, you know, belief in what the state is that, you know, psychedelics, you know, provide entry into. Um, a, you know, common term uh, in, you know, the lay press is entheogen, which, you know, means, uh, you know, generating God from within, you know, which is a pretty freighted term. I mean, it assumes a belief in God, the divine, it assumes that uh, you know God exists within you, and that a drug can you know, generate it. You know, so that's a lot of you know that's a lot to swallow. Um, you know, one of the older uh, you know terms was hallucinogen. You know, but that uh, is you know in a way a bit pejorative, and it isn't accurate because you know perceptual effects, although they're quite common, aren't invariant, uh, and. Uh, and are you know the perceptual, f- uh, and are the perceptual effects uh, you know hallucinations? You know that's kind of you know pejorative. You usually think of you know mental illness when you think about hallucinations. Uh, a you know closely related term was psychotomimetic, you know suggesting that these compounds do mimic psychosis. Uh, so I think, you know, psychedelic means mind manifesting or mind disclosing. It uh, you know, casts a very broad net. It, you know, basically, well, you know, Stanislav, uh, Stanislav uh, you know, Graf is a uh, you know, Czech psychiatrist who's, you know, done a lot of research with LSD and other psychedelics. And uh, he was you know quoted as you know saying that you know psychedelics are non-specific amplifiers of the unconscious, you know, but I think they're non-specific amplifiers of both the conscious and the subconscious and the unconscious. They you know basically uh, you know work on one's mind, um, you know what's already there. It isn't you know like they you know put anything new into your mind uh, which wasn't there in the first place, you know. But the connections. Uh, you know, can become, you know, more, you know, closely related to each other. You can remember things, uh, you can make associations, you can, you know, feel feelings, you know, but they're all yours. You know, they're not Im- imposed, you know, from the outside in any way. Uh, you know, so, the, you know, the compounds are non-specific. Uh, uh, 
intrinsically, you know, they're specific to you that, you know, the drugs have to work on something and they're, you know, working on your psyche, um, your mind, your soul, your spirit, your unconscious and, you know, various parts of your mind. Um, you know, so I, I think it's the you know, broadest base, you know, psychedelic, you know, could encompass a psychotic state, a mystical state, uh, a religious state, you know, uh, you know, creative, uh, you know, creativity enhancement, any number of things, uh, you know, so um, I don't think you're limited by any kind of uh, constraining, the- uh, you know, theoretical uh, you know, framework. So, so um, the, the drugs that you, or the compounds that you group under psychedelics um, in, this, in this volume, um, they are, well, the classical psychedelics, um, well, I won't list them all, but it's uh, mescaline and LSD and uh, psychedelic mushrooms. Um, and then three other compounds, uh, MDMA, uh, ketamine, and selvanorin. Um, what makes these compounds uh, so specific? Why, why did you include these and, and not others? Well, these compounds... Uh you know, generally, you know, produce you know, similar subjective effects, even if their, you know, pharmacology, you know, may differ uh, among them. Uh, you know, the classical or, you know, the classic compounds are, uh, you know, psilocybin, LSD, you know, DMT, and mescaline. You know, they're all, uh, you know, pharmacologically active in the same way. They stimulate what's called, you know, serotonin, uh, 2A receptors, um, and you know those are responsible, you know, for the subjective effects. Uh, you know, ketamine is a completely different compound. You know, works completely differently. You know, but it, um, and it was originally developed as a, a you know, general anesthetic, uh, um, um, as a you know, general anesthetic. You know, but if you give you know, smaller doses, it's it is also uh, you know, quite psychedelic. You know, there's visions and there's voices and there's extreme emotions and those kinds of things. Um, I included MDMA, you know, because it's quite popular um, and uh, it's often, you know, lumped together, you know, with other psychedelics, even though it isn't quite. And the pharmacology is different, you know, but also, um, you know, the subjective effects are different too. You know, the perceptual effects aren't as great. Uh, you know, the psychedelic effects, the mind's you know, manifesting effects aren't as great. Uh, they, it you know, mostly is a, a stimulator or an enhancer of emotions. Um, and, uh, you know, and you know, for that reason, it's quite helpful in you know, helping people, uh, you know, deal with you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, but the pharmacology is different. The, um, you know, the subjective effects are different, you know, than the typical compounds. You know, salvinorin is, uh, you know, from a mint, a Mexican mint, and it's quite psychedelic, but it's, you know, kind of an obscure compound, you know, not many people know about it. And, you know, the consensus is it isn't very pleasant, you know, but still, you know, um, I've tried it as you know, very psychedelic in its own kind of macabre way. And I, you know, thought uh, it would be worthwhile to, include you know there's ibogaine as well um which is a extremely complicated compound it's uh, you know more of a you know classical psychedelic you know than anything else you know so um i do um include it in the you know list of 
uh, you know, classical compounds. Well, there's also, you know, 5-methoxy-DMT, which you know, comes from the desert toad, the Sonoran desert toad, which is a classical compound as well. Um, you know, if you smoke enough strong you know, cannabis, that could be quite psychedelic. And I was, you know, thinking about including cannabis uh, in the book, but that would have, you know, taken us a bit, uh, you know, far afield. Um, you know, the chemistry is different. Uh, the pharmacology, uh, you know, just the whole, you know, it's, you know, it's a whole story unto itself. You know, so um, I refer you know, to that you can get a you know, psychedelic experience if you smoke enough strong cannabis, but um, I don't discuss it in any detail. No, it makes sense. Um, I mean, you give a lot of the both pop culture, pop cultural and academic history of all these compounds. And if you go into, uh, would go into cannabis, that would be another tome such as this. So, um, Two of the chapters, they they're well. One is about the brain. Um, it's a bit more technical, but uh, it's it's a, it's. I think it's a great account on, on how these compounds work on your uh, on, on on your brain um, and on your body. Um, but you also have a chapter on how psychedelics work uh, about the mind, um, and you give several several models on how to well, interpret the workings of these, of these compounds, I would say, um, is there any of these models that, uh, that, that you prefer or that you, uh, um, found out worked best after your, uh, research, uh, period in early, uh, early nineties? Um, the, yeah, psycholo- well, um, the psychological models, you know, that I brought to bear, uh, on the study back then were, uh, you know, ones with which I had a lot of familiarity uh, and experience uh, with, you know, those, you know, were the, um, were the models of, you know, Freudian psychology, uh, you know, the unconscious, the pre-conscious and the conscious, the id, ego and superego. I'm also, um, it was useful to employ that model uh, you know, within the setting of the experimental studies themselves, you know, the relationship between you know, me and the volunteers, um, you know, the relationship is quite intensified when you know, people are, you know, that intoxicated on a psychedelic. And I had been going through my own Freudian psychoanalysis at the time. So I was gaining some familiarity and you know, comfort with working with people you know, myself um, as well in those kinds of regressed, you know, relationships, you know, so I utilize, you know, the Freudian model and I describe that in the book. Um, and I also, you know, brought to bear a number of years of study of, you know, of you know, Buddhist uh, psychology. Um, I had, uh, you know, started, a, you know, Zen, uh, uh, I'm a Zen, you know, Buddhist practice, um, 1974, you know, so, you know, 15 years before, 16 years before, you know, so um, I was learning about meditation, um, about the Buddhist of, uh, you know, perspective on the mind. Um, and also, you know, one summer uh, as an elective in medical school, I studied with a Tibetan Lama in Berkeley who, uh, you know, taught us about, you know, Buddhist, you know, psycho, uh, you know Buddhist um, psychology, uh, you know, the Abhidharma psychology system. Um, you know, so, 
you know, the Buddhist approach was, you know, was useful on a couple of levels. Um, you know, one was the, you know, the means or, you know, the way, you know, that we supervise, you know, the drug sessions, you know, we would get into a, you know, light state of meditation, uh, you know, being, you know, kind of hands off, but still, you know, quite alert at the same time, you know, like a combination of activity and, you know, passivity. Um, and we wanted the volunteers to have their own trip. You know, we didn't want, you know, to um, impose anything on them. You know, but at, uh, you know, the same time, we wanted to be there for them if they needed any help. You know, so entering into a light state of, uh, a light state of meditation was quite helpful there. Um, in addition, you know, the uh, you know, principles um, of Buddhist psychology were instrumental in my developing the questionnaire that we use to quantify the DMT effect. Uh, you know, Buddhism... Uh, you know, divides ongoing mental experience into uh, you know, five you know, separate categories, you know, which are related to each other, uh, interact with each other, you, you know, to give the, um, well, uh, you know, to give you know, the impression of ongoing you know, mental experience, um, you know, physical sensations, perceptual uh, content, emotions, uh, you know, cognition, um, and volition, you know, habitual tendencies, you know, so, um, we developed a questionnaire, which, you know, tapped into each of those, on uh, you know, categories, they're called the skandhas, uh, you know, so, you know, we could score the degree of, uh, you know, somatic effects, the degree of emotional effects and so on, uh, using that rating scale. And it's actually, you know, you know, been a, you know, like an enduring, you know, legacy of that study, even though, you know, that questionnaire um, hasn't really been, uh, you know, worked on for almost, you know, 30 years now. Uh, it still is, you know, being used in uh, the literature, you know, to quantify, you know, the qualitative effects um, of, you know, various, uh, you know, compounds. Um, you know, I also, uh, you know, toward the end of that, you know, chapter or, um, I'm not sure if it's uh, you know like the end of that you know, chapter or its own freestanding chapter, but I, I you know since um, you know my original work, I've you know I you know delved into medieval metaphysics of the Jewish philosophers. Yeah, it's in that same chapter. Um, yeah, and uh, I you know bring in Aristotle's division of the mind into imaginative and intellectual uh, you know, faculties and you know, how psychedelics, you know, mostly stimulate the imagination and it's up to us, you know, to stimulate and to, you know, grow our intellect to be able to understand what the, you know, visions and, you know, the voices, you know, mean, you know, what their message is, you know, how to utilize them and extract valuable information from them. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yes, by all means. Yeah, it did. It illustrates that... I guess that none of the models is is exhaustive when it comes to psychedelic experience. No, and you know, depending on your approach, um, you know, you can you know, basically you know find anything in the you know, psychedelic state you know to support your model. Um, you know, if you believe 
that these uh, you know drugs work miraculously you know like uh you know there's uh you know there's a you know point of view you know that if you experience a mystical state everything else will you know fall into place you'll be healed you know so that's kind of a, a you know theological model you know revelation equals salvation um, you know, there's another approach that uh, uses you know, motivational interviewing and you know, cognitive behavioral therapy ideas, um, and you can uh, y- and you can find support for um, the utility of that model as well, you know, therapeutically and you know, theoretically. You know, Carl Rogers, you know, like on your client-centered therapy, you just repeat back you know to the person. Um, what you know, they just you know told you, and you know that moves the process forward. Uh, you know, logo therapy by Viktor Frankl. You know, searching for meaning within your life within the psychedelic state is also valid. You know, so I just uh, you know chose the ones that I was most comfortable with, uh, and uh, it's up to, you know to the reader to you know to explore other ones if they're you know, so inclined. Yeah, so a lot of the book is uh, is science, but you you also go into some um, well pra- practicalities. I I would say um, well may- maybe before we 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 go into that, uh, um, where do your uh, hopes lie currently for the uh, uh, the more therapeutic use of the of these compounds? Uh, I think that you know, psychedelics are you know, super placebos. I think that you know, basically will do anything you want them to do in the right set of circumstances. You know, if you keep an eye on uh, the literature, like every, you know, like every week, you know, there's a new thing that psychedelics do. Uh, they'll give you more metaphysical beliefs. They'll help your marriage. They'll make you more in tune to nature. Uh, they'll uh, keep you out of prison. Uh, you'll have you know, better cardiovascular health. Um, you'll be more progressive. Uh, you'll be more open. Uh, help your meditation. Help your OCD. Help your drug or alcohol or tobacco abuse. Um, help your depression. Help your PTSD. You know they're panaceas. Problems. Yeah, yeah, they're they're panaceas. You know they heal all. You know so you know you have to step back a bit and, you know, wonder, well, how could any drug do that? You know, how could a drug be a panacea? And, you know, panacea, you know, ties into placebo. You know, placebo effects are real. You know, they're biological. Um, you know, you could look at your know, brain under placebo and there are, you know, changes in, you know, brain electrical activity and chemical activity under placebo. Uh, you know, so I think that, um, it's going to be important to accept, you know, the mechanism of action of how uh, psychedelics work. Uh, you know, it isn't that they're distinctly antidepressants or distinctly anti-anxiety agents. They're much more than that. They, uh, you know, basically will uh, make it more likely that whatever outcome you're, you know, that you're hoping for um, will occur. Um, and I think, you know, that's, you know, the reason you know, that, you know, that we're seeing, um, you know, this, you know, well, you know, like an avalanche of uh, you know, positive findings, um, you know, but, you know, placebo can also be, 
you know, nocebo. It could be, uh, you know, negative effects of bias, expectation, suggestibility, uh, hypnotizability. You know, so um, I think to promote the idea that, you know, psychedelics are only good and, and you know, can be used only for good and their effects are only good is only, you know, one half of the story. You know, one, uh, you know, case in point I like, you know, to raise probably ad nauseum is the case of, you know, Charles Manson and, you know, the way that he used LSD, you know, to convince um, you know, his, uh, you know, followers to you know, believe in these crazy ideas, which were extremely violent, antisocial, uh, completely macabre. Um, you know, so depending, you know, who's giving the psychedelics, you know, to who and for what reason, you know, the outcome can be 180 degrees, you know, separated from each other. You know, therapeutically, I think, you know, they're great drugs. You know, they seem to be, you know, uh, you know, demonstrating a huge amount of promise. Um and you know, for wellness, uh, they seem to be extremely promising. They help your meditation, your creativity. You know, there's you know mushroom retreats in Jamaica now, um, ayahuasca retreats everywhere. Yeah, and you know, people work through stuff. Uh, but um, you know, you need to uh, you, you need to educate yourself. You need to prepare yourself. You want to make certain that you've got a you know, supportive context within which, you know, to integrate the experiences, which can be quite shattering uh, if you're not, you know, fully prepared um, and you need some, you know, backup. You need help to understand what just happened to make the most of your experiences. Um, you know, so, uh, um, well, so as you mentioned, uh, I, you know, do discuss, you know, the practical uh, you, you know, the practical, um, uh, well, uh, well, the practical aspects uh, of, you know, taking a psychedelic. And in fact, the, you know, the biggest of the chapters in the book is called How to Trip. Um, and it's all about, you know, preparation, you know, long-term, you know, short-term, you know, what drug, what dose, um, you know, safety measures. Uh, yeah. May and, I, uh... May, may I give a brief citation from the last minute plan section of the how to trip uh, you you suggest uh, to quote make certain to take care of and uh, of as many loose ends as possible for before you trip tell those to whom you're close about your decision and ask for their advice and support to the extent possible clear the air between you and anyone with whom you may be in conflict and do not forget about paperwork that you would rather not have to think about while updating your will seems morbid it may relieve some of your anxiety when you lose awareness of your body and wonder if you have died right um, yeah, i yeah. love this uh-huh yeah you have to be you know very basic <laughs> yeah yeah you have to really you know tend to your garden before you you know go out there yeah i guess it's uh it's it's uh well it's 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 a great guide um, to to those who uh who aim for such a for such a journey yeah well you know some uh well you know, there's a movement uh, in the states and everywhere else. I would imagine, you know, to increase accessibility, you know, to psychedelics. Uh, it's, you know, starting with mushrooms, but it's kind of you know, branching out to ayahuasca and, uh, you know, ibogaine and MDMA and all those. Uh, 
you know, like, you know, decriminalize nature, you know, legalize and, you know, decriminalize, you know, psychedelics. Um, and, you know, most of these movements are, you know, more or less ignoring adverse effects. I mean, I think as there's an increased accessibility and like, you know, for example, in the state of Oregon, uh, they you know, passed a you know, legalization of psilocybin bill a couple of years ago, and they're working out, you know, the details of the state, you know, licensing requirements. And, uh, you know, if you want to be a, a, a you know, certified you know, psilocybin facilitator, you need at least a high school diploma. You know, so that's not really all that reassuring to me that people giving you know, psilocybin are, are going to know what they're doing. Um, you know, so there's going to be adverse effects. You know, there's going to be, you know, bad actors, you know, giving psychedelics. There's going to be, you know, people that aren't you know, suitable for taking psychedelics, you know, taking them. And, you know, there are going to be increased emergency room visits and you know, hospitalizations, um, you know, suicide attempts and successes and, you know, psychotic breaks and whatnot. So I think, uh, you know, education is key, uh, both, you know, people giving the drugs and, you know, people taking them. Uh, you know, w- you know, we don't, you know, want, you know, the media to uh, start, you know, saying when casualties or adverse effects begin accumulating, you know, why didn't you tell us about these things? Uh, I think we really want them to be front and center as they're, as, you know, these compounds are made more accessible. I always find it fascinating when going to a party or a festival. Um, I I live in the Netherlands. Um, we have a quite a, a history with uh, with the use of MDMA, and um, you see that over the years, a kind of user culture um, has emerged um, to to such a degree that at least some um, some basic rules are almost always uh, accepted such as hydrate but also don't over overdo it Um, similarly um, people when discussing the the use of these compounds um, it's it's often read that uh, uh, overuse like using more than every couple of months uh, has very very bad effects on well all different kinds. There's like this this popular wisdom emerging, um, also of these adverse effects, indeed. Um, but I guess that that's in in some places where the use is not that uh, um, present in the in the in, in the culture that might be uh, that might be more dangerous, perhaps in in places in the U.S. I don't know. Yeah, I think you know that uh, you know there has been accumulated wisdom you know since the '60s on it, like you know smaller doses. Uh, be more careful with, you know, the identity and purity of the drug. In, you know, the case of MDMA, uh, you know, limit your use, uh, you know, stay hydrated, those kinds of things. Um, those kinds of discussions aren't quite as, uh, you know, aren't, aren't, you know, quite as out in the open in uh, the U.S. You know, they're still, you know, kind of a, you know, taboo, even with the increasing popularity in the media. Um you know, so I think, you know, th- you know, that there is an underground, you know, culture which has accumulated a lot of, uh, you know, practical wisdom, which I think w- w- uh, 
will you know, probably militate against a uh, you know, tsunami of adverse effects, but I still think there are going to be some waves, especially early on. What about microdosing? How, how do you feel about that? You know, I have mixed you know, feelings about you know, microdosing. You know, the data are just very slim. You know, the you know the laboratory data um, are very slim. There's only one study giving more than one microdose uh, in you know, volunteers. That was University of uh, the University of Chicago. You know, they gave four you know, low doses of LSD over the space of a month or two. Um, you know the you know the claims of you know, microdosers uh, are you know, really not you know substantiated scientifically, but at the same time you know there's a, a you know, growing recognition that you know microdosing uh, in people that expect uh, benefit from microdosing is beneficial. You know, so I think it has to do with you know the placebo effect. Um, you can give a you know low dose of a psychedelic, which I think will enhance the placebo response. You know, without a, a you know, full uh, you know, psychedelic effect, and you know that you know, suggestion or you know that idea is borne out by animal data. Uh, you know, suggesting that you know low doses um, of psychedelics in lower animals, which do not, you know, produce behavioral effects, you know, typical of a you know, full dose of a psychedelic, still promote the growth of new neurons and promote the complexity of connections among neurons. Um, and, you know, that may be, you know, part of how psychedelics work. And it, you may underlie the kind of generic, you know, placebo activation by you know by psychedelics you know so it you know, could be that you know very small uh you know very small doses um, of psychedelics still promote the placebo response without you know subjective effects uh, you know without um, acute subjective effects you know so the expectancy can then steer the new neuron growth the new uh you know complexity of you know connections in the desired direction which you know, could be more creativity, a better mood, uh, you, know, you know, those kinds of issues. Well, we've been over much of the material already that's, that's in the book. Um, I, I would like to ask one, one, one or two more questions. So if you, if you could design a, 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 a new direction of study or a new direction of experiment, even if just vaguely what... Uh, what would you aim for? Or are there any specific experiments currently done that you're um, particularly enthusiastic about? Uh, I think it's important to understand the mechanisms of action. <clears throat> you know, so, you know, for example, uh, if it is that the placebo response, which is the underlying you know, phenomenon and the you know, panacea-like effects of uh, you know, psychedelics that we've been seeing, you can design studies and i've been encouraging uh, you know junior scientists all around the world to do these studies they're quite simple but i think everybody's wedded to their own you know theory you know like it's the mystical state or it's 
you know, cognitive, uh, or it's the, you know, default mode, uh, you know, network, or it's ego dissolution, or it's insight or emotional breakthrough, you know, but I think if you could, uh, you know, kind of go one step, you know, deeper, um, I think if you, you know, looked at, you know, pre-existing suggestibility in research, uh, you know, subjects, and if, you know, there was a, you know, correlation between outcome and, you know, baseline suggestibility or hypnotizability, you know, that would support the idea that, you know, psychedelics enhance suggestibility, enhance the placebo response. And if you're not suggestible or you're not placebo responsive, you would not respond as well as, you know, those who are. You know, that would also, you know, point to studies in placebo responsive conditions as opposed to non-placebo responsive conditions. You know, so for example, you know, cancer is not placebo responsive. You know, so you would think if you were, you know, doing psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, you know, hoping for an immunological, you know, boost in your treatment for cancer, that it wouldn't really pan out that well as opposed to conditions which are quite placebo responsive, you know, like allergies, autoimmune diseases, inflammatory, uh, inflammatory diseases, you know, we're already seeing, you know, that, um, you know, the psychedelics are uh, quite effective in, you know, the treatment of depression. Um, and depression is extremely you know, placebo responsive, you know. So that's you know, consistent you know, with the idea that you know that psychedelics are um, you know, magnifying, amplifying you know, the placebo response because in a placebo responsive you know, condition, you know, they're quite effective. Uh, you know, so those are a couple of you know, simple research uh, you know, questions which I think could be done without you know, much difficulty. Um, yeah, you know, so I think if we understand the mechanisms of action, it'll you know, keep us you know, from becoming zealots and you know, fundamentalists that, you know, we believe that, you know, this is the way they work and it's just a matter of using them, you know, for whatever, you know, condition is you know, troubling mankind. Um, I think you ought to, or, you know, one ought to maintain, uh, you know, scientific rigor and, uh, you know, keep on asking questions about, you know, how do these drugs work and what's the best way to use them? And fi- finally, so you've written several books over the, also over the last, uh, last two decades. Um, is there anything uh, we can look forward to after this, uh, after the current tome? Well, I'm not sure if I would call it a tome. It's only uh, you know, 203 pages. <laughs> agreed, agreed. It's, it's light reading. Very yeah. pleasant indeed. Yeah. It's quite dense, you know, so I suppose if I unpacked it, it would be, you know, 400 words, but uh, you have to kind of, you know, un, un, you know pack uh, the material. Um, well, I mean, I wrote the DMT book, you know, back in, in 2001, DMT, the spirit molecule, you know, which is the, you know, the story of the DMT research. It was a great story and it had to be told, you know, so you know, that's what you know, motivated you know, my writing that book. Um I you know, co-authored a book called Inner Path to Outer Space, which emphasizes the, you know, you know kind of the alien aspect of the you know, psychedelic experience. Um, I went back to the you know, drawing board spiritually uh, with my 2014 book called uh, you know, DMT and the Soul of Prophecy. Um, 
you know, kind of, you know, taking it out of the Eastern religious perspective and, you know, moving it into the Western biblical tradition. Um, a few years ago, I got quite sick, super sick, pneumonia, you know, C. diff, like a you know, super diarrhea, super bug thing. And uh, I was really manhandled uh, at the local hospital here. And, and I swore if I lived, I would write about it. Um, you know, so I you know, lightly disguised the story in an autobiographical fiction book called Joseph Levy Escapes Death, uh, which is you know rather mordant, but you know pretty funny too. You know, uh, it, it's like you know black uh, you know medical humor, um, and uh, yeah, that came out in 2019. You know, this book uh, came out last month. Uh, I've got you know two big writing uh, you know, projects that I am working on at this point, or you know once the, you know the interviewing schedule starts to quiet down. Um, I've been collecting stories of you know my own experiences over the last you know 30, 40 years with you know drugs and with meditation and depression and psychoanalysis and um, you know those kinds of things. Uh, you know, so I've um, I've got a. a a couple hundred pages of interesting stories. You know, they're fun stories. Um, and I've got, you know, my own approach to altered states of consciousness, which I kind of intersperse within, you know, the narrative. So it's, you know, tentatively entitled Altered States. Uh, so I'm going to be working on that. Um, and uh, I'm really quite, uh, you know, keen on the Hebrew Bible. Uh, I've been really carefully studying it for a long time now, and I've been working on my own translation and commentary on the book of Genesis. And I'm almost, you know, finished with the first draft. It's 1,200 pages right now. You know, so I'm not sure if anybody's ever going to want to publish that or even read it, but uh, still, it's one of those things I would like to finish before I die. Thanks a lot for sharing this. And, um, well, the talk has been wonderful. So, um well, thank you for being present on the show, Rick, and uh, uh, we hope to uh, talk to you next time, perhaps about altered states. Great. Well, thanks for having me.